Now, if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Thank you for following along in all those various scripture passages. I'm going to reference them throughout our message today. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts in a series called Life on Mission. Because the book of Acts is about the mission of Jesus Christ continuing through the church, through the apostles, but beyond the apostles, through everyday Christians filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have here in Acts chapter 15 uh, just a prelude to what's called the second missionary journey of Paul. There's three missionary journeys where he goes out. In the first missionary journey of the apostle Paul, he leaves with an individual named Barnabas. And he and Barnabas had been friends for 15 years, and I'll share a little bit later in my message. Uh, Barnabas is very pivotal in helping establish Paul when he was very distrusted in the early church. He was Saul of Tarsus persecuting Christians, and Barnabas put his neck out for Paul and ultimately took him under his wing and raised him up until he became the spiritual giant we know today, the Apostle Paul who penned 12 of the epistles in the second half of Acts is largely all about. But today something sad happens, which is there is a split, there is a division between Barnabas and Paul, these friends of 15 years. And the split is over John Mark. John Mark, who we just read, is a cousin of Barnabas and who disappeared on their first missionary journey, who deserted them on their first missionary journey, who flaked out as they were just getting started. And we'll see today that Barnabas wants to bring them on the second journey, and Paul says, no way. And they divide over that. It's kind of a sad passage, but it's also a hopeful passage in many ways because we see how God works through our divisions and God works despite us at times. And so next week, we're going to be launching into the second missionary journey. But today, we're going to pause and look at this, verses 36 through 41, in a message I've entitled, Grace and Greatness. Grace and greatness. We're going to be looking at four characters from this passage. We're going to look at Barnabas, at Paul, at Silas, and at Mark, and how they'll form the four points of this message on grace and greatness this morning. So I'm going to read the passage in its entirety, verses 36 through 41. Pray for us and then drop right into our message of grace and greatness, beginning verse 36. Well, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we have proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, they are presently in their church, Antioch, where Barnabas brought Paul years ago. They had poured into that church for many years and many days, and now they're going to launch on a second missionary journey to retrace their steps from the first and visit and see how those believers are. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Grace and greatness. Let's pray. Well, Father God, as we open your sacred, holy, and perfect word this morning, we pray that we would not only examine it, but your word would examine us. 
Lord, and as we look at this division, this sharp disagreement, Lord, we confess that there is division in your church today. There are sharp disagreements in your church today. But we thank you, God, that you're a God that works despite and even through our sharp disagreements, even despite our sin at times, even despite our ideals that we fall short of. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at these characters and your work of grace at Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Mark himself, Lord, as we look at their lives and your grace at work in their lives, we would see grace at work in our lives. We see their strengths and we see their weaknesses and we'd see our own. And Lord, because of this, Lord, we would see the power of grace to triumph over our sin. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of our core values at Manoa Community Church, I'll put it up on the screen, is empowerment. We say here, grace changes everything. They entrusted them, we're told, they've been commended to the grace of the Lord at the end of this passage. And grace is an acrostic, and the last letter in grace is E, where we say the following, empowerment, we encourage one another to reach our fullest potential in Christ, both believing and expecting the best from one another. Years ago, I was part of a ministry in South Florida called First Priority. We, did, uh, we do evangelism in the public schools. I oversaw 90 schools for Broward County, working with dozens of churches. Being part of this ministry was one of the healthiest things for me spiritually in a long time. I've been in full-time ministry since 2004, but working with dozens of churches and going through various denominations and seeing the strengths, sometimes the weaknesses, the quirkiness of us in the body of Christ, if you will, seeing healthy patterns and some maybe not so healthy or toxic patterns. And one of the things the ministry taught me, and I, I picked this up from this value of empowerment, we would say this at first priority, and it really stuck with me. So we believe the best of each other, we want the best for each other, and we expect the best from each other. And you see in the value of empowerment that many of those principles are literally lifted from that because that branded itself into my soul. And as I think about today's passage in the different characters, I see elements of these things, but I see them divided in the different characters. I see some that want the best, some that expect the best, some that believe the best, but they don't converge in such a way to hold them together in the power of grace. And what you see here at the end of the passage, verse 40, is Paul chose Silas, and he had been commended to the brothers, excuse me, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. That at the center of our faith, we are commended to God's grace. Not only are we commended or handed over to God's grace, because grace apprehends us, takes a hold of us. Grace pardons our sin, but grace also has a power. Grace has a power in our lives so that when we're commended to grace, grace then commends us. Grace then empowers us. Grace then takes a hold of our lives and develops our lives. And so that we can become the best version of you in Christ that God can redeem you, God can rescue you, God can restore the brokenness in your life. So as we go through this passage, I'm going to preach it a little differently today. Typically, we just go verse by verse by verse through it. I want to do a bit of a character study on the four characters through this idea of believing, wanting, and expecting the best, and look at each of the characters and how they fit part of that profile, but not all of it. And then bringing it together, there's a bonus at the end of becoming the best. So we'll work backwards first with expecting the best. Grace commends us first to expect the best 
from one another. Grace commends us to expect the best. We see a division between Paul and Barnabas and theologians and commentators go back and forth. Who was right and who was wrong? And it's kind of frivolous. It's like the fight with your wife, like trying to figure out who was right and who was wrong. Like they're divided, right? 15-year friendship splits up over this. And in certain ways, they were both right. And maybe in some ways, they both have some things that were wrong about it. But I want to start with Paul because much of our theology of grace comes from Paul, right? He's one of the greatest theologians and defenders of grace. One of the things Paul believes deeply is that grace not only pardons our mistakes, but grace actually empowers us through our weaknesses to do amazing things for Jesus. Paul says this about himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Referring to all the other apostles. The first blush, you're like, tone it down, Paul. I worked harder than everybody. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It was a good, humble turnaround at the end. And listen, we can look at Paul's life, and he's not speaking hyperbole. Like, Paul was hardcore, right? Paul went on these three missionary journeys. He was beaten, shipwrecked. He'll give you the list of his credentials, right? And in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of the thorn in his flesh, which we don't know, he says, God's power was perfected in my weakness, Paul sees his weakness, Paul sees his shortcomings, and he says, grace pushes me through to the very end. I expect the best in me, not because of me, but because of the grace of God in me, because it's God at work in me. And so we see Paul, and he looks back at John Mark and Barnabas, who Barnabas, he spent 15 years with. Five years ago, they go on this missionary journey, and they decide to take John Mark, Barnabas' cousin, with him. And Barnabas, excuse me, John Mark pieces out. We don't know why. We don't know if he was afraid. We don't know if he was, had other things to attend to. But it's clear from this passage that Barnabas feels a bit betrayed, at most, but at least let down. His trust in John Mark is not very high. He expected more from John Mark, and John Mark disappointed him. Disappointed him. I think we can relate to that about people in our lives, where we, we expected more from them. They made promises to us, maybe from a spouse that made vows to us and then broke them. You know, it's been said once, it's been said before, right? This, that, uh, hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. I can think about Paul in this moment, Paul's probably not even ready to be uh, a reference for John Mark. Like if somebody says, hey, what do you think of John Mark? He'd be like, well, I wouldn't want to disparage him, but I, I need to share some details with you about how things went down. He's not even ready to be a reference for John Mark, let alone hire Mark onto his team again, right? Like, I only have three picks. I get Barnabas and John. How'd he get back here? Like, this is deja vu. No way. We already did this before. We already, hit, we already sailed to Cyprus and John Mark left us. I am not bringing John Mark back again. I expected more from him. And he let me down. 
If grace was really at work in his life, that would not have happened. You know, and the last thing I would say about Paul before we go to our second point here, because there is a bit of a sad irony here, and there's going to be some redemption we'll see at the end here between Paul and John Mark. But at times as believers, we can have a really sound doctrine of grace. I think we'd all agree, like if we want somebody to defend the doctrine of grace, we want Paul in our corner, right? Like Paul just went to bat in Jerusalem against legalism. Paul understands grace. Paul understands that God forgives us unconditionally. God can forgive any mistake. Yet sometimes we can't. And I think if I were to critique Paul, and I want to tread carefully here, I mean, he's the apostle Paul, but we can have a sound doctrine of grace and yet withhold it from others who fail us. And what does it look like? We talk about this often at Manoa, of having a sound doctrine of grace coupled with a robust culture of grace that's willing to actually extend the grace that we so adamantly believe in. Be very transparent, we're part of the Reformed tradition that defends the doctrines of grace and that becomes code for a lot of things that we jam in there. But sometimes we're not the most gracious Christians. That should not be. If we believe that we are saved because of the unconditional love and election of God, because despite our depravity, then we should be the quickest ones to extend grace to us in their failures because that is how God in Christ relates to us. Grace first commends us, yes, to expect the best. Paul expects the best, but it can't be left alone or that will still crush us. Not only it commends us to expect the best from others, secondly, to want the best for others. To want the best for others. And I kind of peg this to Silas, the second character. Silas is one of these invisible heroes, again, in the book of Acts and our New Testament, by the way. His other name, his Latin name is Silvanus. He appears four times in the epistles, often as one of the co-authors of those epistles. At the end of 1 Peter, chapter 5, uh, Peter, who's penning his, says this was penned by Silvanus, a faithful brother. Whether Silvanus wrote the letter for Peter or was delivering it, we don't know. But Silvanus is, Silas is a faithful brother. And he's largely a forgotten brother. We know that Silas, Paul and Silas now go on the second missionary journey. And listen, I don't think Silas was picking sides here. It wasn't like Silas came along like, yeah, I'm, I'm against these guys. I'm with Paul. It says Paul chose Silas. It doesn't say Silas chose Paul. I don't think he was like picking camps here. Silas showed up just the preceding passage where he was sent from Jerusalem to clean up the mess of the false teachers, to encourage, to strengthen the church in Antioch, which is where we find him today. He's the guy that comes alongside and strengthens people. He strengthens Antioch. I think he came alongside of Paul to strengthen Paul on this missionary journey. And he comes alongside of Peter to help him whether to pen his letter. We don't even know if Peter could write. He might have been able to, but he might have just orally given it to him. Either way, he is a guy that is happy to play second fiddle because it's not about him. It's about Antioch. It's about Paul. It's about the mission. It's about Jesus. Silas is forgotten, and I think Silas is cool with that because that's who Silas is. He just wants the best. He's not in it for himself. He's not in it for fame. 
And Silas goes with Paul on this second missionary journey. He's just this quiet companion along the side, says that things that Silas, we never get a quote from him verbally out of his lips. Paul's usually the one speaking. But he's there by his side and he's going to the least of these. The first converts we'll see are going to be a group of ladies down by the river. Then they go and they free a slave girl who's been uh, bound by a demon and set her free. And then they're locked up for delivering her from that because she was able to be a fortune teller and now she can't do that anymore. And so now he's in prison with Paul. Do you know what he's doing? Singing hymns and praying in the middle of the night. And I love that because it's such a great, beautiful picture of grace because grace not only causes us to expect the best from people, but to want the best for them. To look at Antioch in a mess and say, I want to go, I want to help this church. To look at Paul who's about to go out solo and say, I'll join you. (laughs) Maybe you shouldn't do this alone. I'll be a part of that. To go to Peter and say, you need somebody to drop off that letter. I'm your man. I'm a faithful brother. Grace commends us to expect the best from one another, but also to want the best for one another. When we only expect the best from one another, I'll go back, it kind of crushes us, doesn't it? But I need to know that you don't only expect the best from me, but you want the best for me. And that spirit of grace that says, even if you're not there yet, What can I do to come alongside of you? What can I do to play the role of a Silas in your life, to strengthen you? What can I do to be a faithful brother to you, looking not just for what I get out of this relationship, but what I give into it to make you a better person and to strengthen you? Silas exemplifies wanting the best. So grace commends us to expect the best, to want the best. Thirdly, to believe the best. So again, these are in reverse. We believe the best, want the best, expect the best finally. But here, I want to circle back to Barnabas. Grace commends us to believe the best of one another. Now, Barnabas exemplifies this not only here, but this is a pattern in Barnabas' life if you're new to the book of Acts and where we are in this book. And you might be tempted at this moment if you only read about this and knew that Barnabas and John Mark were cousins to say, yep, it happens in the church all the time, nepotism. Once again, the son gets the pulpit, the cousin gets the microphone, you know. I want to make it very clear to you if you're thinking like Barnabas sided with John Mark because they're relatives, that that is not how Barnabas rolls. You know, the whole old Frank saying, blood is thicker than water. You know, that idea that family bonds. He's just gonna side with John Mark because they're relatives. That's not how Barnabas operates. They happen to be relatives and he's known him for many, many, many years. Uh, in fact, We see his mom's house early in the book of Acts. You remember that Peter was arrested? Where did he go? He went to John Mark's house. He went to John Mark's mother's house, which, by the way, shows the impact that moms can have, too, in the church on all sorts of levels. And ladies, you have a huge role to play, but just we'll circle back to Mark in a moment. We don't know hardly anything about his mom other than this. She loves Jesus dearly. Her house is available to serve Jesus and the church and to get the mission of Jesus Christ done. And that passes to Mark for sure. But Barnabas believes the best, not only about his relatives, this is what he did for Paul so many 15 years ago. 
Remember, Paul's ministry is about 30 years. This is about halfway where this division happens. But 15 years ago, the apostle Paul is not the great apostle to the Gentiles. He is Saul of Tarsus, persecuting Christians and locking them up. Remember that? When Stephen, the first uh, Christian martyr, who was one of the deacons from the church in Jerusalem, he is stoned to death. They lay their garments at the feet of the apostle, not the apostle yet, they lay their feet at Saul of Tarsus. Say, we did this for you. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, super self-righteous at this time, very zealous for the law of God, very far from the grace of God. And yet, God converts him, Jesus converts him on the road to Damascus, blinds him, opens his eyes, and once he comes to Christ, he runs back to the church in Jerusalem and says, I'm a believer now, I'm a Christian now, and they say, come on in. No, they don't. They say, get out of here. He's a spy. We don't trust him. But he had been preaching the gospel out in the open air for a while, and Barnabas took note of that. And Barnabas comes and takes Saul under his wing, introduces him to the other apostles, brings him into the church where he grows in his faith, is united to the the larger church, and then Barnabas later goes to Antioch on behalf of Jerusalem, this church that they're at now, to check it out because the gospel went there independent of apostles. So the apostles sent him to check it out. He sees the grace of God in this baby church that doesn't know a lick of Bible or doctrine probably, but he says, I see grace here. He goes and gets Paul, brings them there, and that's, that's how they get together and build up this church for so many years. And then when they leave to do their first missionary journey, Paul is tagging along with Barnabas, and eventually the tables flip, and Barnabas plays second fiddle. And you see in a guy like a Barnabas, he not only wants the best, but he sees potential in people that other people don't see. And he doesn't hold their past against them and their past mistakes against them. Listen, there would be no Apostle Paul, humanly speaking, apart from the role that God used Barnabas in his life. He probably would have just been kept out of the church or just played some peripheral role, but Barnabas has influence. Barnabas has credibility. Barnabas has trust with the church. You know what he does with it? He extends it to other people. He gives away some of his credibility. And by the way, when we do that, we put a little bit of our own credibility on the line too, don't we? When we're willing to actually take a risk on somebody that nobody else will do that for and help lift somebody up rather than view them as a stepping stone to climbing higher and being willing to lift people up that they might eventually outshine you. But Barnabas never gives a hint, never a hint of jealousy in any of this. And I don't think it started here where now Barnabas is jaded because everyone likes Paul. I I don't think that's what this is about. I think this is about, I took a risk on you and look what happened. You got to give him a second chance too. Because Barnabas not only wants the best, he believes the best. He believes that God is not done with John Mark. He has seen the grace of God at work in a fledgling form, and he is jealous to see that build up, that flame turn into a burning inferno. So to me, many a times you'll hear me say this, my hero in the Bible, 
Like, like Peter, Paul. You know, we have churches named after St. Peter and St. Paul. Like we all want to, which is it? There's both of them. We'll say St. Peter and St. Paul, you know. If I were naming church, I'd be St. Barnabas. <laughs> Who? Yeah. Because none of you remember him. And yet, humanly speaking again, God used him powerfully to lift up people in their weakest moments. Now, we say here that we want to be a safe place for broken and weary people to find healing and rest for their souls. That's our second value, rest. If you come here beat up, if you come here feeling like a Christian failure, if you come here feeling like you blew it, we want to be a Barnabas kind of church to you. We want the best for you. We expect the best from you. But it starts here. We believe the best. That if grace is at work in you, and it's not a confidence in the goodness of humanity, believe that, all right? Barnabas doesn't think that people are just inherently good. He believes that God is inherently good. And if God gets a hold of you, his grace is greater than your sin. That God can put your life back together. And Barnabas will not give up on you because God never gives up on you. May we be brothers and sisters who believe the best and use our influence, power, and even our reputation to help you and help others become all they can be in Christ Jesus, which leads me to my fourth and final point. Grace commends us not only to expect the best, want the best, and believe the best, but fourthly, become the best. To become the best. And I say that not like better, I'm better than you or you're better than me. Become the best version of you in Christ that you can become. Right? What we said empowerment. Become our fullest potential in Christ Jesus. Because you go back and you say, well, who was right and who was wrong? And together I think that they would all be right if we brought all of those three things together into John Mark's life. And it is a happy ending. It is a happy ending for John Mark. You know, here we see him and he largely disappears from the narrative and we follow Paul and Silas for the rest of the book. And yet, you know what happens right away? First up, look where Barnabas and John Mark go. Do you see that at the end? It says, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Cyprus is where the first missionary journey began. Whose idea was that? Verse 36, some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. They go back and they do what Paul wanted to do initially. Did you catch that? Paul and Silas go on a whole new missionary journey. So they actually fulfill the very burden that Paul has and Paul does something totally different. I think that's really telling that Barnabas and John Mark fulfill the purposes of God revealed through Paul, even though Paul now goes and does something else. And they're faithful. They circle back and they care for those churches. They care for those brothers. And God overruled their sharp disagreement so that out of one pair, now through this sinful division, God now has two pairs one caring for the churches, one launching and strengthening new churches. And I would say, this does not excuse our sins, brothers and sisters. Sometimes people preach this passage, it's like, look, division, it's biblical. Paul did it. <laughs> 
I said at the outset, I'm so thankful that God works often despite us and that it's preserved in the pages of scripture. Like, I don't want this to be a pattern for, this is our approach to church planting. Every five to 10 years, we get mad at each other, divide, and now we got two churches. Now, by the grace of God, sometimes that's how it works, and hopefully you have two healthy churches rather than two toxic churches that are living out of their wounds, right, you know? But God works sometimes despite us and multiplies the mission, And so I thank God that he is greater than our sin here. But as we look at Paul's life towards the end of his life, he does experience quite a bit of disappointment with many people he's poured into. But you know who comes through strong for Paul in the end? John Mark. And we we don't have all the details, but the last letter that we have of the Apostle Paul is 2 Timothy, where Timothy actually appears next week in chapter 16. He picks him up. He's talking about how he's coming to the end of his ministry, how he's about to die. And he tells Timothy, his son in the faith, it's on the screens, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best, Timothy, to come to me soon. He's alone here. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus, Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Listen to this, but get Mark. And bring him with you. For he's very useful to me for ministry. And I love that. Because Paul got it wrong. He got Mark wrong. He thought Mark was useless. And because of a Barnabas, Mark is restored. And by the way, I'm sure then Barnabas and Paul are restored. And Mark and Paul are restored. They all come back together at the end. And if you're saying, well, I've heard the name Mark before, where did I hear that from? Because not only was he a character in the book of Acts, he was also the one to pen the first gospel. Matthew, Mark. It's the second gospel in chronology, but most believe, and I think this is right, that it was the first one penned, and then Matthew and Luke largely inspired by the Spirit, grab a lot of the content of Mark. That's why we call them synoptic gospels, because they're very similar. And Mark was a companion to Peter, and so that Mark's gospel essentially is Peter's gospel, but just as Silas penned a letter for Peter, it appears that Mark, who was literate and able to write, took Peter's first eyewitness accounts and recorded the very first gospel of Jesus Christ that we have preserved in sacred scripture for thousands of years so that Matthew and Luke when Luke begins his gospel he says in so as much as many have taken a careful undertaking to compile this I did as well and I looked at all the sources and I'm sure the first source that he picked up was from John Mark. Could you imagine, could you imagine if we threw away John Mark because of his failure? Could you imagine if we would give up on the John Marks of the world who longed to serve Jesus 
and are afraid or have a failure or a checkered past, we say they're useless for me in ministry. God forbid. God forbid. The world has been changed because there were believers who believed the best, wanted the best, expected the best, and therefore he became the best. So I will end where I begin as we transition to communion. We want to be a church of empowerment, that we believe the best of one another and we expect the best from each other. And may we look at each other wherever we are in this journey of grace and commend one another to the grace of God and see the grace of God unleashed in our lives that where you are today is not who you will become fully. And God's grace, I'll say it over and over and over until you believe it, there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. And Jesus Christ extends that grace to you. Where you are today is not where you will be. And on that final day, you will look far more like Jesus than you look like you today. Receive that hope. Receive it. Do you believe that? Look at your marriage. Is it hurting? God's not done with it. Look at your temptations. Are you failing? God's not done with you yet. And I believe that as your pastor about you. Do you believe it? And are you surrounding yourself with other Christians who don't believe in you? They believe in the grace of God in you. The grace of God is greater than all our sin. Let's pray. Please stand. We're going to transition to communion in a moment, but before we do, let's take a moment to pray, every head bowed. If you've yet to receive the grace of God, you need to know this, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. He didn't die for people who are the best. He died for people who are the worst. And if you believe that you're a sinner, if you believe that you've fallen short of the grace of God, if you believe that you have failed God and your friends and family, there's grace for you. But you need to turn from your sin and turn from your self-righteousness and turn to the cross of Christ because it's there where Jesus Christ died for you, broke his body and shed his blood for you. All you need to do is call on the name of the Lord to be saved, like Paul on the road to Damascus, to turn to Jesus and to set your eyes on him, and he will forgive you. And so if you haven't done that yet, I want to give you a chance to do that today, to receive the grace of God and to begin this journey now. So just raise your hand. I want to pray for you and give you an opportunity to receive Christ. Who here would like to receive the grace of God? Anybody? Raise your hand. Jesus, we confess that we fall short of your glory. We take no delight in that, nor do you. But we do take delight in the fact that you love us as sinners. And that Jesus, you died not for righteous people, but for unrighteous people, us. God, protect us from having a higher standard than you do, where we can say God forgives, but we won't forgive. 
Lord, may we be recipients of your forgiveness and grace and be purveyors and extenders of it. May we have a sound doctrine of grace and extend grace to each other at our moments of failure. For those here today who are receiving your grace for the first time, God, I pray that you would say this to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying for all of my sins on the cross. Thank you for your grace. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Empower me by your grace to become all I can be, to become the best version of me I can in Christ Jesus. And for the church, God, we pray that this culture of grace would define us, that we would see broken people, that we would see people who messed up, we would see people who let us down, and we'd say, I don't give up on you. I don't give up on you because God doesn't give up on you. May we communicate the heart of the Father to every prodigal who comes back that we wouldn't give them a stern lashing down, but we would receive them with welcome arms and embrace of love. Because Father, that is how you receive us. And so God, give us grace to empower each other in your grace. May we believe the best, want the best, and expect the best from each other. Do this for your glory, that your grace might be exalted in our lives and in our church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you didn't receive the communion elements, just raise your hand and one of our deacons will hand them to you right now. Communion is a meal we take with believers all over the world from every Christian tradition. This is not a Manoah meal. This is a meal that shows our unity with the body of Christ. And so if you're not a member here, but you've been baptized into any church, you can take this meal with us. And scripture tells us to come to this meal with contemplation, introspection, to confess our sins. So I want to give us a moment to do this before we take the meal together and close with the song of worship. And certainly... If you have sinned this week, that does not disqualify you from this meal. You have sinned this week. Let me remove any uh, question from your mind. So the idea that you have to come to church perfect to take this meal would be a gross misunderstanding of self-examination. Because every time you take this meal, you're actually confessing that you need the blood of Christ and you need the body of Christ to stand before the throne of God. This is a meal of mercy. This is a meal of grace. And the fact that we confess our sins before we take it reminds us that God is faithful and just to forgive us of those very sins that we committed this week. So let's take a moment just quietly in your souls to confess any known sin that you have before God the Father. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. In the same way also after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup.
Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for the blood of the new covenants. We thank you for your grace through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your spiritual presence meeting with us now, even through this sacrament. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins and that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We stand before you today as objects of mercy. We stand before you this day as your sons and daughters. We stand before you this day as trophies of grace. Thank you for your unmerited grace and the power that we have because of your grace. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.